2: On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis,
3: Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
2: Doug, what's new in the world of investment planning?
3: Maybe you've asked if I already have
1: a stockbroker, insurance agent, accountant, and attorney, why do I still need a Certified Financial Planner? Basically, there are five important reasons why you need one. Well, five important things a certified financial planner can do for you. Number one, asset allocation and portfolio management. A certified financial planner has the specific training to pull investment assets together into an organized plan to achieve a client's future financial objectives. Two, risk management or insurance coverages. When does one really need to purchase disability, life, property, and casualty insurance? These are all separate issues And a certified financial planner can identify an individual's or a business's immediate and future needs for risk management. Number three, tax planning. A certified financial planner can prepare tax strategies for the over-sheltered, the under-sheltered, or the pre-retiree when a tax situation becomes complex. Number four, retirement and estate planning. A certified financial planner can perform spreadsheet applications for future retirement planning or have the tax knowledge needed when performing estate tax planning for family heirs. Number five, planning for professionals or small business owners. Should my business be formed as a corporation or as a partnership? How much personal liability is involved in operating my business? Again, a certified financial planner can steer you through business continuity issues or give advice when integrating the finances of the company and the business owner. Other good reasons you might need a certified financial planner? To plan for college costs, gifting strategies for tax relief, planning for nursing home costs for you or your parents. Recent history has established a track record of an unpredictable Wall Street, complex tax laws, and an onslaught of different financial vehicles. A certified financial planner is skilled in identifying an individual's goals and helping develop, implement, and monitor a plan to achieve them. You need a certified financial planner because a financial future is at stake, and it's yours. If you've been wondering about why you need a certified financial planner, I hope my comments have helped. Seek competent financial advice, and if you have any financial questions, call me at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. And remember, your financial future is at stake.
2: Many of our seniors, and for those of you that are 70 and a half or approaching to our listeners, um... Sometimes they find that they don't need the money that's coming out. Right. Uh, You know, they're getting Social Security, and maybe they got a part-time job, or maybe they're still working. And the dilemma is, I'm going to be getting more income. I'm going to be taxed more. Mm -hmm. But isn't it true, Doug, that some of our clients, they do a pay-yourself-first plan?
1: What you do, yeah, Lynn. If you've got to go ahead and take a required minimum distribution from an IRA because of tax rules, then you can do automatic investing back into your own portfolio and dollar-cost average back in, not into the IRA portfolio, right? But into the other one, into and it's the, the equivalent. That's mm-hmm. right. It's the equivalent of pay yourself first investing, and it's very powerful because you're able to go ahead and really move it from one bucket to the other, and. Uh, and, and most of the time, that's commission free. So it's a very nice strategy. Cash flow planning is where it begins. Real financial planning has to start with what are the cash flow needs of the client and then work from there.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call me, Deborah Lewis,
3: Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management, 919 872 7000.
2: I saw another article uh, about managing your finances and learning the ABCs of senior specialists.
1: I think it was a year ago you and I started bringing this to the public's attention, the alphabet soup that's out there, and especially for seniors seeking financial guidance. The string of abbreviations that are coming after people's names now on business cards can look very impressive. But uh, FINRA, which is the financial industry regulatory authority, just a few months ago in November, issued a regulatory notice, an alert because you know you can have all kinds of designations aimed at seniors, chartered advisor for senior living, chartered senior financial planner. They seem very, very uh, impressive, uh, but the alert that came out by FINRA had some very disturbing news for older investors. And I think the one uh, statement that I liked the most was from Wisconsin security administrator. She said there doesn't seem to be very much monitoring by firms about these labels that people use. They're more marketing labels, these initials after people's names. And as an investor, you're really on your own to be avoid to be to avoid being taken for a ride.
3: I think that is the most disturbing part, is that if the person's just getting the designation or using the credential or using the designation as a marketing tool, then you're not going to be any more benefited. You're not going to be speaking to someone who is more knowledgeable than perhaps the next person.
1: Well, you know, you take a couple of them. Take the the, the gold standard, the certified financial planner, which is what I have, and it is. it, It is the highest designation there is. But... Compare that to something like the Certified Senior Advisor designation, which is a weekend course with a hundred and fifty question multiple choice answer. I mean, when Massachusetts Secretary of State William Galvin, when he investigated that one, he said this is really just a plain old marketing tool. And so you have to go ahead and see what is out there. Now there's a there's an attempt to confuse the public. And a lot of our seniors are being hit with this. The best thing to do, as Deborah said earlier, is look for the form ADV. That form ADV, ask for it, have it sent to you, and then you'll know an awful lot more, especially if you know the questions to ask afterwards.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you'd like further information, call us at
3: 919-872-7000 or go to our website
2: dougandlinda.com that's dougandlinda.com i saw another article uh about managing your finances and learning the abcs of senior specialists
1: i think it was a year ago you and i started bringing this to the public's attention the alphabet soup that's out there and especially for seniors seeking financial guidance the string of abbreviations that are coming after people's names now on business cards can look very impressive. But uh, FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, just a few months ago in November issued a regulatory notice, an alert, because you know you can have all kinds of designations aimed at seniors, chartered advisor for senior living, chartered senior financial planner. They seem very, very uh, impressive, uh, but the alert that came out by FINRA had some very disturbing news for older investors. And I think the one uh, statement that I liked the most was from Wisconsin's security administrator. She said there doesn't seem to be very much monitoring by firms about these labels that people use. They're more marketing labels, these initials after people's names. And as an investor, you're really on your own to be avoid. To, be, to avoid being taken for a ride.
3: I think that is the most disturbing part, is that if the person's just getting the designation or using the credential or using the designation as a marketing tool, then you're not going to be any more benefited. You're not going to be speaking to someone who is more knowledgeable than perhaps the next person.
1: Well, you know, you take a couple of them. Take the, 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 the gold standard, the certified financial planner, which is what I have. And it is. it It is the highest designation there is. But compare that to something like the certified senior advisor designation, which is a weekend course with 150 question, multiple choice answer. I mean, when Massachusetts Secretary of State William Galvin, when he investigated that one, he said, this is really just a plain old marketing tool. And so you have to go ahead and see what is out there. Now, there's a there's an attempt to confuse the public. And a lot of our seniors are being hit with this. The best thing to do, as Deborah said earlier, is look for the form ADV. That form ADV, ask for it, have it sent to you, and then you'll know an awful lot more, especially if you know the questions to ask afterwards.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you'd like further information, call us at
3: 919-872-7000 or go to our website. Linda dot com. That's Linda dot com.
1: how can I help you with your money matter this evening? I am one of several recipients of a rather large estate.
4: The executor will have to file with the IRS.
1: All right. And when you say you're the recipient, has someone passed away already, or are you yeah, thinking
4: someone passed away about four months ago?
1: All right. So this is a relative of yours that passed away, and the executor is
4: is a bank in Arizona. All right. I'm just curious. Uh, they keep saying that it will probably take about two years to settle this estate because when you send in the uh, forms to IRS, which have to be done in nine months, and they're going to wait till nine months, after that they say when they audit sometimes it takes a year, a year and a half. My question to you is You do you have any idea how we heirs could expedite that?
1: That's a real good question, and I have a sneaking suspicion that it may be possible. My guess would be, and I would not like to be quoted on this, what I'd rather do is have you call me at the office and I will put us in touch with an estate planning attorney. I work with several very closely. How many heirs are there? Well, there are, uh, there
4: are four of us that will get the residual. and uh, There are
1: four heirs? All right. Uh, well, give me some numbers so I know what we're talking about. Oh, the,
4: well, when it gets to us, it won't be very much. The estate's about uh, $1.8 million.
1: All right, so a one point eight million dollar estate, and are there heavy credit uh, creditors against the estate? No,
4: no, no. There, it was about ten fifteen thousand dollars worth of bills to pay off, and that's all been done. All right, but the bank is going to take about fifty thousand bucks, and then we don't know what the lawyers fee will be, mm-hmm. and then there's one other uh, a gift of one hundred thousand dollars, and everything that's left gets divided four ways.
1: Well, oh, that'd be a very good question that I would like to run by one of the attorneys that we work with and see if a unanimous decision amongst the heirs can change executors.
4: Oh, it's, uh, no, that's not my question. It's too late to change executors. We're way into it. If that was to have been done, and I thought of that, I I thought of writing the judge and ask that my brother be allowed to continue. He had power of attorney for two years paid all the bills, but it's too late. The bank has got a, the bank is in the same state where the, the court is. They're not, and we're all from someplace else. Uh, what I had in mind is there anything we could do about writing directly to the IRS office saying, look, you know, is there anything we can do to expedite this audit that they apparently will audit? And I thought maybe if the four of us said, look, you know, Let's go with it. We're all close to 70 years old, or some of us are 50, but most of them are 70.
1: Yeah, I think there are some things that you can do. Again, I, I'd, want to be, I'd want to be using an attorney.
3: This is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. Call me at 919-872-7000.
1: So why is the estate being audited?
4: Oh, they just assume that every a, a state of any size gets audited by the IRS.
1: Well, that's not necessarily true at all.
4: Well, I, I thought the bank is a little... Uh, but I thought maybe if I wrote, and, and this would be the Ogden, Utah branch, I thought maybe I'd just write and ask them to do an immediate audit. And, <laughs> well, yeah, but you've had no experience with
1: that, i take No, I don't it's think you... It's a little you- bit off of your... I don't, well it's not off it's, it's not off in my area I, 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 I'm working in this area all the time but I'm working with an attorney is what I'm saying well, we generally we, we generally bring in a state planning attorney in who is represent who, who who's able to represent himself before the IRS oh, and as you see that. what I'm saying ah
4: maybe that's what the four of
1: us could do well that, that's that's exactly what I'm saying if you will call me at my office I'll, I'll see about getting us in in touch with An attorney who works in this area and who is able to go... You see, your attorneys fall into several categories. Number one, you've got estate planning attorneys that simply go ahead and prepare wills and trusts and so forth. They're very uncomfortable dealing in the area of taxes and accounting.
4: Uh Uh-huh.
1: There are other estate attorneys who are also CPAs and who are very comfortable in this area, and they like to actually represent you before the IRS. Uh, You see what I'm saying? I see.
4: Well, I didn't know that.
1: Exactly. And the consumer doesn't know, typically. They're not questions that you ask an attorney, and quite frankly, uh, they're not types of questions that you would be expected to ask. But the attorneys that I like are the ones who are able to go in and work in both areas simultaneously. They know their ways around the IRS. And they also know the estate tax laws. Right? Huh? You see what I'm saying? So you,
4: yes, you want somebody who's expert in estates and
1: taxation. It's estates and taxation, and comfortable dealing with the IRS. Exactly. I uh, and his represented ones before the IRS. Well, Marianne, if you'd like to call me at the office, I'll go ahead and see about getting us in touch with someone that, uh, that I've worked with and that I can feel comfortable recommending to you.
4: Well, I appreciate that very much. You're sure welcome. Thank you for your time. You're
1: welcome. My office number, by the way, is 872-7000. Okay. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for calling, Marianne. Bye-bye. Bye-bye
2: now. What's new in the world of financial planning, Doug? Well, Linda, there was I'll interject. There was a really interesting article. And you know, financial planning isn't all about just numbers, right? So true. Um, and some 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 people have this question thrown at them: Do your finances stress you out? There's a growing number of so-called financial therapists that want to help, and it's due in part to the rising popularity of behavioral finance which is an academic field that holds that people often don't make rational economic decisions, so financial planners are borrowing techniques from psychologists and other specialists in our emotional lives. Their goal? To help clients get in touch with the often messy feelings behind their relationship with money.
3: Well, it's interesting because this article is from the Wall Street Journal, and I kept thinking to myself, goodness, isn't that what Linda and Doug and Deborah have been doing uh, for the last, uh, what, couple, three decades?
1: Yeah, we could spend time tonight unscrambling the confusion, but you're exactly right, Deborah. The so-called financial planners through the last three decades have really been money managers, ones who only deal with the money aspect and managing the money. And the behavioral side, the true questions of stress, of, uh, of how do I handle my inner feelings, that has left it's been not part of what most people who call themselves financial planners have been doing. But on the other hand, Linda, I would say that's 90% of what you have done for the last 25 years, at least, at our office, right? Yes,
2: indeed. That's exactly. That sounds familiar. (laughs) That's what I've been doing for years. Yeah,
1: because we've been a team. You've been handling the emotional aspects, the personal side of clients' issues, children, divorce, death, and so forth. I handle the financial, the money aspects and everything. And now, Deborah, of course...
3: Doing the little bit of both and a lot of planning and, and a lot of that planning incorporating a lot of this, this stuff that they were talking about in the articles is a new thing that advisors are being trained on. And this, this, this being advised or, or trained to be able to advise in things that change in people's lives, like through divorce and job loss and other transitions. Well, we've been giving that kind of full comprehensive I guess, breadth of financial planning for, for decades. And, and that's what makes this, I think, a real success story for, for our clients who have been with us all that time. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website. DougAndLinda.com
1: We have, we have. The article called it a combo approach, becoming a hot topic within the industry. Uh, But there are some of my peers, including myself, that have strong reservations. Because really, to go ahead and take what, uh, I'll give you an example. Some of the new designations that are out there. Okay. Registered Life Planner Now. Hmm. That's a new one. Hmm. You can... People take a two-day workshop and they are now a registered life planner. Costs $8,000 to take the course and you now can advertise yourself as a registered life planner. Or certified financial transitionist. You can take a one-day course and it's going to cost you $7,000 and you can hang out a shingle saying you are a certified financial transitionist. Or another one was the financial therapy certificate, which you can get for six thousand eight hundred dollars by taking six courses,
2: and, and so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, then this so, one—the uh, financial behavior specialist—that one will cost you thirteen dollars. Thirteen thousand uh, dollars. Thirteen
1: thousand dollars. Excuse me. <laughs> right. And what do you do to get it? You take a three-day workshop over a two-year training period. The point is that this is what we have been doing at Lewis Financial Management. We have been getting into the transition areas, helping people decide, what do I do with divorce that I'm in the middle of.
3: Well, you know, it's a real testament to those like you, Doug, who were early financial planners, came into this industry, had a vision of how it could be a little bit different than the brokerage world, added to it this whole full-fledged financial planning, comprehensively dealing with someone's situation. And maybe this is now just a tangible result that you need to know more than just money, whether you're the advisor or you're the client.
1: Very good, Deborah. I think you hit a bullseye there because... the. The individual who goes to uh, Merrill Lynch or Edward Jones or any of the large brokerage firms out there and gets a financial planner and comes away and says, gee, my money is being handled and managed, but nobody asked any questions about me.
3: Or where do I go for now some tax advice?
1: Or what about my estate?
3: Or cash flow planning all right. or insurance so, or any of these yes, other so they things. So
1: feel, they feel a gap. And as you say, the gap is being met by this new breed of professional or pseudo professional, which uh, I'm on the side of, no, what you re- really need is a true certified financial planner who's going to give you all sides of the financial world. So
2: Succinctly said, very good. And it's true that uh, advisors can improve their listening skills and their awareness of emotional baggage that affects clients' financial decisions. Decisions, but the average planner needs to realize his or her limitations. And uh, for comprehensive financial plans and continu- continuing advice, if individuals should make sure that their advisor has extensive experience. And holds a major designation such as being a certified financial planner.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919 872 7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation. Call me at 919 872 7000.
1: Let's take Brian's call. Brian, this is Doug Lewis. Deborah Lewis, certified financial planners. Linda Lewis, how can we help you this evening?
5: I've got a question uh, for somebody who's a, over fifty, and you have the uh, you have a four hundred one k at work and a Roth four hundred one k. Which one do you and I and somebody who maxes out as much money, which is the twenty two five on the retirement side. Which one do you, would you say to go into first? Would you go
1: well, all four? Well, 401k well, again, uh, I, I'm going to have uh, to yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have to approach it. I'm going to have to approach it, Brian, the same way as we approach it with Jason. There is no sure. one answer for anybody, for everybody. Right. Uh, tell me a little bit. You say you're over 50? Yeah,
5: I'm 54.
1: You're 54 years old. Married or yeah. single? Married. Married. Any children at home? No. All right. Uh, both of you working, you and your wife?
5: No, just, well, my wife's part-time. And
1: All right. Really so busy. basically, it's a one-income family, but no children. Yeah.
5: The, All right. Uh, children, my daughter's in college.
1: All right. Oh, okay. Good. Okay, now let's go over to what you've accumulated on both sides of the equation. All right. What have you accumulated in the 401k so far?
5: In the 401k, that, that the money that that I work with has got about close to $225,000. All
1: right. That's in the 401k?
5: Yeah, and and that's part of the vested money, too.
1: Well, it should be all vested, I would think.
5: Yeah, it's all vested.
1: Yeah, because it's, everything that you contribute out of your paycheck is yours, and anything right. most employers, if they match you, uh, it's yours too. Good question,
3: Doug. What is the match, Brian?
5: The match was uh, 25 cents, up to 4% of your income.
1: All right, and how much are you presently co- contributing?
5: Uh, I am, I'm a commission person, so it fluctuates monthly but each year I put in the maximum.
1: All right. right, let's go over to the non-retirement portfolio. How much is in the non-retirement, non 401k? Uh, probably close to 400
5: grand.
1: All right, so 400,000 is invested outside of retirement monies. Yes. Yeah. All right, Where, how is that money spread as far as, like what's it in? Was it? Is it in stocks or bonds or mutual funds or CDs? Mutual
5: funds
1: mainly. I'm sorry? Mutual funds mutual mainly. Money. Okay, good. All right. So now, and over in the four hundred one k side, how is that spread?
5: It's all mutual funds. All
1: good. right. So now, your question is:
5: Give I us have your no home mortgage. House is paid for. The question. I have about another four or five hundred grand in a SEP plan that I funded when I was younger.
1: All right. So you have four hundred thousand in a SEP IRA.
5: No, no, that, no. I have on top of the four hundred one k. I have a separate plan. It's convoluted.
0: All right.
1: Well, let me say this. Here's what you should do.
5: Okay.
3: So if the yeah was the question four hundred one k versus Roth four hundred one k. Yes.
5: Okay. Right. It's the okay. same plan. Okay. All right. Don't. Should I fund everything in the four hundred one k and take the tax benefit?
1: No. No. Okay. You do not want to go ahead and let the tax tail wag the dog. The dog needs oh, to whack th- okay. the dog needs to whack the tail. The tail doesn't wag the dog.
5: <laughs> That's Don't- a great statement, isn't it, Brent? <laughs> yeah. I mean now now do, I mean the light just went on like boom. If you need
3: help, call me, Deborah Lewis 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. All right, Yay. here's what you need to do. You
5: should max out the 401 side of it. I mean, the Roth side of it than the uh, 401k and just up to 4% on the 401k side.
1: No, that's wrong too.
5: Okay.
1: All right, you're too old. You're too old to get what you need as benefit from the, from the Roth. You need to do the pay yourself first over into the personal side. And here's why. If, okay. I, if I add up the 400 that you've got, and the 225. Yep. And did you say there's anything else in investments besides that 625,000? No. Okay. So you're at 625,000 accumulated capital base right now and you're you're 54, which is a very crucial age because you're too old for the benefit of a of a of a Roth and you're too young to think about social security and yet you are moving rapidly into what we call financial independence to be able to possibly retire or become financially independent before age 59 and a half. Okay. And that is crucial because if you can achieve enough accumulation, and this is what we do in our office, this is why what we've been doing for 30 years, we've been targeting clients to get there early so that you have the choice. And let's say you're 58 years old four years from now when you've can when you made it. At that time, the last thing you want to do is to go ahead and say, oh, I think I'll start taking income from my 401k that you're going to roll over into an IRA because you'll face the tax penalty of right. ordinary income, state income, plus 10% penalty tax. Then you're going to want to have the maximum over in the personal portfolio, And the question that you might ask is, well, why would I not be putting it into the Roth IRA? Because it has no real ability to be blended with the personal portfolio for safety, for diversification, for asset allocation, all the things that we want to do.
3: And to, and to see growth, because in addition to that, when he was when Doug was saying, don't let the tax jail wag the dog, you have to think, all the dollars that come out of retirement accounts are going to be coming out at ordinary income. Correct. If you have a ability to accumulate, let's say over the next 4, 8, 12 years, enough in a portfolio to where your blended amount of money is coming from your retirement account and your non-retirement account actually have less of a tax strike against it, then you want to do it. You want to maximize that.
1: Let me ask you a question: If you were to ask yourself, of course, you're in a feast or famine profession. Uh, that's what commission based is. We call it feast or famine. One right. one month you're famine, you're you famine. Next month you're feasting. But by right. the en- by the end of the year, yeah. How much are you? Have you been able to add to the two portfolios combined at, uh, above? Okay.
2: What's your projected income?
1: Well, he's already given us that two twenty five. Oh. No ninety. No, oh, I'm sorry, ninety thousand. No, 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 we'll oh, out, we no. never no, got that. We never
2: got no, the income. Two
5: hundred thousand.
1: Okay, <laughs> all right. So back to the question: How much of your projected income will you be able to set aside by the time the year is ended?
5: Oh, easily half.
1: Okay, hundred thousand.
5: Yeah, probably. The, then all
3: seventy-five right. of it needs to be in the personal portfolio, which means you know Instead six to eight thousand per month or should, by per, I guess by paycheck if you're if you're commission based it would be every time you have a check have it come in and be a percentage of
1: Okay. We we do it on what we call a pay yourself first basis and that's my right. point. If you go ahead uh and again I'll tell you the same question that we told Jason write down our phone number. I don't know if you heard it the phone number at the office 919-872-7000 that's USA
3: 7000.
2: mm Mhm.
1: And go to our website. You will see the three of us in action because we have videos there that you can get to know us uh, face-to-face. And schedule an appointment to meet with us. And we will go ahead and show you using a pay-yourself-first accumulation method, not only what the dollars will be, but what investments specifically you should have. In other words, how to divide that. We will analyze each of your mutual funds on both sides of the equation, and then we'll tell you what we think you should do and how you have the highest probability of achieving it.
2: And I want to commend you, um, Brian, for accumulating, because your diligence over time, you know, working hard uh, through good times and bad, and because of your habit of just, you know, contributing to the retirement, contributing to your personal side, and Being able to sort all of this out and have direction, because the next step after working is retirement, right? So you're in the pre-retirement stage. But like Deborah was saying, we would like to see you maximize what you're doing and be in the direction that you should be so that you can forecast financial independence in the future. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling, Brian. I think
1: we probably should have just a little tagline of explaining what we meant about not letting the tax tail wag the dog with regard to the Roth. Yes. Uh, the Roth IRA and a lot of companies are really putting this as an option. There's nothing wrong with it for people who have a really hard time saving money. And the benefit, the only benefit that I see is if I don't see it, I can't spend it. Yes. But the tax benefit doesn't Come into play initially because what you're doing is you're you're contributing you're pay- after you pay taxes. You pay those taxes ahead
3: right. of time, and and the incentive there is if you're very young, under forty, it's going to make sense. You're that after tax dollar. Left invested for 20 to 30 years, will now be going tax deferred, and will come out with taxes already paid on it. It's cash.
1: The part that comes out tax-free is not on your first part because you already paid part. That's right. (laughs) It's the growth. That's right. And when you're you're 54 years old, you don't have time to go in.
3: Theoretically, you have four years for growth to happen. It's never going to happen. It's not going to be worth it. And don't waste it.
1: So what we have done in our office, we have run analyses repeatedly, and we've come to the conclusion, if you are over 40, don't contribute to a Roth. If you are under 40, yes. Then you'll have the the years. And it's
3: always balanced by that. If the capacity to save is there, then absolutely do it just outside of a retirement account. Own it outright. There's a whole other... Side to investing the personal portfolio. This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919 872 7000. 919 872 7000. But Doug, Linda, uh, let's go back to our seven reasons that we had come up with as to why you might want to take Social Security sooner versus waiting till later.
2: So initially, we said keep cashing those checks.
1: In other words, that's a psychological reason. You were used to getting a paycheck now continue getting continue a paycheck, getting a paycheck <laughs> even though it's a smaller one than waiting but the second one that i can think of is the question of well what about the penalty for working and collecting now here most people are aware of the fact that if you collect social security before your full retirement age they call that the fra then There's a certain level of other income that you can earn that's going to reduce the Social Security checks. But the reduction isn't as bad as it might seem. Now, we have to note that the reduction only applies to the recipient's earnings. A lot of people don't know that. That's right. Yeah, it does not refer to your spouse's pay. So it's just earned income. So she can earn a hundred thousand a year if you and you can go ahead and take, start, that, take your start early. taking your Social Security age sixty two. Another thing that most people don't realize is that formula is only earned income. You can earn an unlimited amount of interest income, capital gains income, pension payments, IRA distributions, none of that goes into that. So I don't think we need to worry about the penalty. In Jane Broadstrokes. Now we have
3: right. specific yeah. situations in right. our office. Right. That we,
1: but that's so the these, second reason that I can think of why you might want to take it earlier.
3: Yeah. Uh, a third reason might be this thing that we often hear, Doug, you and I, in meetings. Well, what about this 8% if I wait? What about this 8% gain? Well, many proponent, proponents of waiting to take Social Security point out that recipients receive an 8% increase in their check for every year that they delay. For instance, if a beneficiary could get $2,000 per month at age 65, if they waited until turning age, turning age 66, they would give... Uh, they would get a check of twenty one sixty per month. Yeah, you so, often
1: hear this 8% and you perceive that, oh, the actual return provided by waiting is 8%. But by waiting one year to get Social Security checks, what happens? You miss out on a year's worth of slightly smaller payments. So yeah. the actual net gain by waiting depends on a lot of factors, including your lifespan, inflation, and investment performance. It is not a simple... Uh, more every time I wait. So that's the third reason you want to take it early.
3: Yeah, the fourth reason, you just don't know when you're going to die. The hypothetical return on delaying benefits rises and falls with your life expectancy. As a rule of thumb, the break-even age for waiting is usually around 80 years old. So, in other words, if you are gonna you know live past 80, and if there was some way to know that, then hey, you'd make it, you'd win. <laughs> but really, most of us have more stories than than not that we have seen friends, coworkers, family members die well before reaching 80. So, you might be skeptical about living that long, especially. If you, um, you know, let's say you've already had a serious health issue, you know, trying to wait out for some sort of a eight uh, percent gain would, might just be a, a bigger loss.
1: Yeah. So we've had four reasons so far to take your social security check earlier. Linda, how about a fifth one?
2: All right, I'm going to tell you the fifth one, but I'm going to also announce if you have a question and you'd like to schedule an appointment, call us at nine one nine. Eight seven two seven thousand. That's 919-USA-7000. We'll schedule an appointment with you. And when you come, you'll receive one of three books. Wealthy Barber, Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth, or The Middle Class Millionaire. And visit our website at DougAndLinda.com. All right, so the fourth reason is... Fifth. The fifth reason is Social Security saves on taxes. So a dollar withdrawn from an IRA account is taxed as ordinary income. And the more money that's withdrawn, the higher the income tax rate will be for you. But retirement income from Social Security is initially tax-free. And even if you have enough income to eventually make the Social Security payments taxable, only 50% or 85% of the payments will be taxable depending on your total income and your marital status. So that means that when you receive a dollar in Social Security payments, your tax bill will be the same as if you were to receive 85 cents, 50 cents, or nothing from your IRA.
1: Powerful reason, the fifth one. Powerful reason. Sixth reason I can think of is I don't know. I hate to say it this way. It sounds a little crude, but get it when you can. The Social Security Administration trustees estimate that the program's current surplus could be exhausted in 20 years. Those who are eligible for Social Security might want to take their slightly reduced benefits today rather than waiting years to receive a check that could be reduced if the Social Security runs out.
3: You know, that's a really good reason. And the last one is probably my favorite. Preserve funds for the future. When you live off of liquid assets, instead of tapping Social Security, you're giving up the use of the spent dollars forever. That money might otherwise come in handy for an unforeseen, uncovered family medical emergency or some other negative or positive event that requires a larger sum. So definitely lots to think about, lots of reasons to come see us as Certified Financial Planners to find out what your particular individual situation might need and what kind of timing you might have for taking Social Security. This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to set up an appointment to speak about your situation. 919-872-7000 of the estate during the settlement process. This can be a risky tactic. It's especially risky when an estate plan calls for giving a trust or individual a pecuniary amount, which is a precise amount based upon the value of the assets reported on the estate tax return. This specific amount must be distributed to the trust or individual regardless of fluctuations in the value of assets before funding. Many examples of how people made that mistake. I think I can make a little money before I have to give it out. And what do you know, something happens and they can't. So don't play the market during the estate settlement process, much too risky. Another no-no is mishandling real estate. Real estate is often one of the hardest assets to administer. One beneficiary may be living in the house while another might want it sold quickly. This frequently comes up when we have adult children Let's say the mom and dad die and there are three children, and one is doing, is less financially off than the other two, and they might very quickly want their portion of the, of the estate for need or necessity. So this, this comes up frequently. Unless amicable decisions can be reached among all of the beneficiaries, the executor may be forced to seek probate court assistance. Executors also should be careful not to hold on to the house for too long. Executors should maintain the homeowner's insurance on the decedent's house in case of fire or accident. So manage it mishandling real estate, another thing that can really catch you off guard as an executor. How about losing tangible assets? It's the executor's responsibility to keep the assets safe while arrangements are made to distribute them according to the decedent's plan. Executors who there was, there was an example in the article. An executor who was a family friend of the deceased and didn't realize the son was helping himself to his late father's work of art, works of art, and value, valuable items while the estate was being settled, got in big trouble. This was because the executor should have immediately taken an inventory of the assets and arranged to appraise them and securely store them until the art, uh, secure the art until it was ready to be distributed. And this is because it was meant to go to the museum. And instead, the son had been taking it, thinking it was part of his inheritance. One... Other piece of advice, don't succumb to family pressure to make distributions too soon. It may result in insufficient assets to pay off creditors. Money has a habit of changing the attitudes of a lot of people. But an executor's job isn't simply to distribute wealth. So while it's a unfortunate position when a loved one dies that we are in, we have to take this responsibility um very seriously and know what our responsibility is. Many times people will hire an estate planning attorney to get involved just because although you can file and do some things do-it-yourself style, there are several items that might be bigger than you even want to deal with. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, dougandlinda.com. That's dougandlinda.com.
1: Well, Chris, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
5: Yeah, I have a question. I'm in the process of buying a house and I'm trying to decide what type of um, what type of term to go with. Uh-huh. And people have told me in the past that if you go with a 30-year loan and if you make an extra payment towards the principal each year, that you would in turn almost pay it off in the same amount of time that you would on a 15-year loan. Uh-huh. Is
0: any of this true or
1: well, it may be true and it may be ir- it may be not true, but in either case, it's irrelevant. It's not part of the equation that you're concerned about. First of all, if you end up 15 years from now with a house with no mortgage and the inability to buy any food to live in the house, would you be happy just having a house paid off and no groceries? No, uh, of course not. Okay, so the goal isn't to see how fast you can have a house with no mortgage on it. The goal is to see... How soon you can achieve what's called financial independence? How old are you, Chris? Thirty-three. Thirty-three years old. Generally, a thirty-year on uh, will give you a greater tax savings than a fifteen-year mortgage. Okay. Because the percentage of your paycheck of your payment to the bank is going to be bigger on the thirty-year mortgage than on the fifteen-year mortgage. Okay. And that means that more of your payment will be refunded to you in the way of a deduction on Schedule A on your tax return, which basically means that you have more money to invest towards financial independence. Now, if a person doesn't choose to start investing, then they're out of this equation totally because it only works if you're going to be accumulating what you save. If you go ahead and take a 30-year loan, then you are stretching your payments 15 years longer, yes, but your goal should be to accumulate the difference that you're not paying in your, mor- in your mortgage payments, that money should be directed into an accumulation vehicle like a mutual fund. Okay. So that at the end of 15 years, and when we run these numbers in my office, we very often see because of the power of compound rate of return, at the end of 15 years of investments, you may be only halfway through your mortgage or maybe even less. But for example, how much of the mortgage are you are going to take out?
5: The loan is 113
1: all right, so your goal should be at the end of 15 years to be able to have maybe 200 or 300000 accumulated, have your house still halfway through your mortgage, then you can write a check for the remainder on the mortgage. Let's say you have still 60000 left to pay on your mortgage. If you've got $250,000 accumulated, you write a check for $60,000, you pay off the mortgage, and maybe you've got one hundred and seventy, or one hundred and eighty, or one hundred and ninety left in cash, plus you still have the home paid off. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh, sure did. That's the power of the compound rate of return because the 15-year mortgage will only go down at a simple rate of return. Okay. Uh, also, you will get a better tax relief along the way. So at your age, you want a 30-year amortization rather than a 15-year
5: well, I certainly
1: appreciate it. Jot down my office number. It's eight seven two seven thousand. 7000 That's 919 7000 And some people remember that as just USA 7000.
3: All right, great. Thank right. you for calling. Thank you. Another huge question or group of people that come in with a typical question are the the people who are um, accumulating, still accumulating their wealth. And there's been a big IRA shift, Doug, Linda. There really has. Because think about how many times when people come in for that first appointment and they ask us, one of of their most pressing questions is, should I, in addition to participating in my 401k, should I also have a Roth IRA? Because while you may not be able to do a, 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 a traditional IRA, or maybe even in addition to a traditional IRA. But this question comes up over and over again. And I saw some statistics in Financial Planning Magazine that were talking about uh, this very question about how it's been, become very surprising that eight times as much money is in Roth IRAs than traditional IRAs. And this trend reflects in part the reality of younger workers uh, recognizing that uh, while their paychecks and their might be low, lower than they might be later on, or their taxes might be lower right now. There's a widespread interest in savings, and the Roth has become a great way to save. And in addition, they were talking about how while you, you realize when you invest in a Roth that you're going to forego the tax deductions uh, to receive that money later in retirement, tax-free can be very appealing. And a lot of people are talking about Roths. So a lot of people are asking this question when they come in. But Doug, the bottom line about this whole topic is always so many people know of a Roth, but they don't know how to invest in a Roth, and I guess I'm saying that badly, they know they can open up a Roth account, but they may not know what they can invest in once they have that Roth account open. So it's a two-part question. It really is. One
1: is, should you invest in a Roth IRA? Many people come in and I tell them, no, you should not invest in a Roth IRA at all. I usually draw the line at age 40. Right. If you are over 40, you should not be investing in a Roth But you should be investing. Uh And if you're under 40, then yes, because Roths make sense only if they have enough years to accumulate because that's where the real uh, tax benefit comes in, enough years of accumulation. But then the more important question, as you just said, is the second part to the question, where – should the investment be the Roth is simply, simply like a chicken house that holds chickens. It's not the chicken. It's just the container. It's the container. And there we need to go ahead and pick different mutual funds. According to the overall asset allocation of the entire client's portfolio, which would be his Roth IRA, his 401k, his personal portfolio where his pay yourself first plan is going into every month and the whole thing together. But the the more important question, as you just indicated, is what is the investment?
3: And I think this is where people really fail. Sometimes they think that all they can invest in is a CD or, or, or a oh. bond mutual fund or something that needs to be, quote unquote, uh, safer than other areas. And I think this is where people really miss out. The whole point in it is to be as aggressive because if used properly, it's not going to be touched For 20 years if you're under
1: 40. That is an outstanding point, Deborah. If you're going to be investing using the Roth IRA vehicle, which means you're under age 40, then you need to pick a very aggressive type of mutual fund. A CD would be the worst investment, in my opinion, that a person under 40 would have putting it into a Roth IRA.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. This
3: is Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation. Call me at 919-872-7000. One of our favorite writers uh, got asked a question about uh, advice for investors looking to consolidate multiple IRAs, and the question said, from the reader, over the years, I've opened IRAs at various banks, depending on which one was offering the highest-yielding CD. It's gotten a bit out of control, as I'm nearing age 70 and a half, and I'm thinking I should consolidate these as they mature. I think I have about 25 to 30 IRAs at over 10 banks, and I'm not sure of the maturity dates or the yields as I have just left them to renew automatically. Do you think just selecting one bank to hold what would eventually be another large CD makes sense? My plan would be to have a check sent to me at the various CDs of the, as the various CDs mature, and then deposit the check into my IRA at the selected bank. I realize I'd need to make sure and deposit the check within 60 days of receipt, but I don't think that would be a problem if I select a local bank allowing me to just bring the check directly to them upon receipt. My big concern with my plan is not having the FDIC insurance if my account value goes over the limit, $250,000. If I select a well-known bank, should this be a concern? Overall, do you think my plan makes sense? Well...
1: Of course, the plan to consolidate the IRAs makes an awful lot of sense. As a matter of fact, it's crucial. Uh, I don't like the whole idea of using CDs. That's not the reason. But we have a bigger problem if the writer doesn't consolidate, and that is a 50% tax penalty based on the uh, age 70 and a half minimum. You know, the Internal Revenue Service doesn't just give you a penalty on one IRA if you have 10 of them. Right. They want you to go in and, and, and use a formula which says the sum of all of my retirement accounts is on the bottom and the top is my withdrawal amount and that's my RMD. And if that withdrawal doesn't get taken out, they don't care if it comes from one IRA or ten, but you've got to get it out based on all of them. Then you get hit on a fifty with a fifty percent tax penalty. So you should always have only one IRA custodian. Now the whole other part of the question about CDs and banks and and, uh, and FDIC insurance—that's sort of a nonsense type of issue. I think the most crucial thing is that the writer should meet with a certified financial planner. Definitely consolidate using one custodian, and my advice would be use a custodian that has no products. Use a custodian that is not linked to any products for the IRA and let you go ahead and then choose whatever mutual funds you want or whatever investments you want as part of the whole overall portfolio. Right. Yeah, that's the way that I would approach the issue.
2: And most folks, Doug, at that stage and age of life uh, really want to simplify. And, you know, basically in his question, he said it it really got out of control. Right. Going to so many banks. Well,
1: it's going to only get more out of control if if she's 71 or he's 71 now. Ten years from now, that's 81. Uh, Life doesn't get simpler as you get older. You need to go ahead and have it in a simple format.
2: You certainly do. Well, here we are facing a new week. We hope that everyone will have a wonderful week. And we look forward to your calls at Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000.
1: And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com.
3: Thank you for joining us for another edition of Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. You can listen to our podcast online at WPTF.com. Join us next Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. on WPTF. Call us to set your appointment this week. 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
0: You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis
5: family.